0: everybody, this is Wingman, and you are listening to Guard Frequency.
1: My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed.
2: My dad is turning green, like literally
1: green. My last nav check put me on the range point four.
2: This is Control, Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the Guard Frequency. Greetings, sits and sieves. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the Guard. This is episode 21 and was recorded live on May the 3rd and made available for download May the 6th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. All right, what have we got this week, Tony?
1: In this week's Squawk Box, we find out if the Mustang is the only craft not living up to its name. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in-universe fiction, 10 for the Chairman, Episode 18, Wingman's Hangar 67, and the continuation of the next great starship. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we tell you what there is to know about the Starfarer Tanker. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in our conversation.
0: Sits and sieves, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join our crew here at Guard Frequency. And we're especially looking for an audio engineer to come and join the team here and assist with our weekly shows. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Forty One One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or a resume. And that takes care of all of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. of you boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation's on there. Cryptor,
1: Cryptor, Cryptor, this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This week's Squawk Box comes to us via Imgur, courtesy of Jun Groth. We've often complained on this show how the Mustang from Consolidated Outland doesn't quite live up to its legacy. After all, the P-51 Mustang is one of the most iconic aircraft of an entire generation. Its role as a fighter escort for bombers in World War II was crucial to the Allied victory, but the Mustang isn't the only craft in the Chris Roberts universe that takes its name from real-life airplanes, so we thought we'd check to see if any of the other ships live up to their legacy. The P-52 Merlin is one of the two ships in the game that's obviously based off of its namesake. In this case, it's named after the engine of the aircraft. The Merlin has the primary role of fighter escort for a larger ship. It's exactly the same fundamental role as uh, the P-52 in the game. One point for correct legacy. The real-life version of the Aurora is better known as the American Champion Aurora, and like the RSI version... The Belanca Sitibria line of airplanes was a group of entry-level craft coming in a variety of options. The American Champion Aurora is used primarily for instruction, tailwheel training, hobby flying, and some general aviation work, such as patrols. So, eh, again, pretty accurate. Two points. The name inspiration for the Origin 300 line of ships isn't an airplane, but a car. The BMW 3 series of cars has been produced since 1975 and has gone through many variations and comes in many different iterations. But like Origin ships, they have remained focused on a combination of luxury and capability in a small package. So far, so good. I think we get another point for that one. The Grumman TBF Avenger is an American World War II torpedo bomber. Okay, so okay, it's not perfectly in line with the Aegis Avenger police patrol ship modify for bounty hunting. The Grumman Avenger was first displayed to the public in a planned ceremony on December 7, 1941, the same date as the attack on Pearl Harbor. The Avenger played a vital role in the Pacific Theater against the Japanese Navy. It sank many Japanese carriers and battleships throughout the course of the war. Well, that makes two ships that aren't exactly like their forebears. So the Avenger coming in more like the Ford Crown Victoria probably would be the better car example. The Anvil Hornet is the second ship that is an imitation of its real-life airborne counterpart. The F.A. 18 Hornet is a twin-engine carrier-based fighter. Like the Anvil, the F-A-18 Hornet comes in many variants, the most well-known being the F-A-18-E or F Super Hornet, a larger, more powerful version. Four points to Gryffindor... uh, legacy ships, sorry. Then, the Vought F-7U Cutlass. Unlike the Drake Cutlass, this plane never won anyone over, and never ever ever. Never scared anyone who saw it coming. As a matter of fact, with a quarter of the airframes destroyed by accidents or malfunctions, the FU of F-7U was directed squarely at its pilots, not at its adversaries. And with a service life of only about 11 years, from 1946 to 1947, no one seemed keen to keep it around long. However, it did pave the way for the F-8 Crusader, which did have some longevity and punch. So, you know, there's that. Next, the Gloucester Gladiator was one of the last fighter biplanes to be designed in sea action. It was introduced by the British RAF in 1937 and saw use by more than a dozen countries up until 1953. All right, another one kind of bucks the trend here, sort of. While not exactly on par with the Gladiator in-game, it also happens to be the namesake of the upcoming Gladius fighter being produced by Foundry42, and this is where the legacy catches up with it a little bit. Although the Gloucester Gladiator was kind of almost obsolete even at its debut, it still saw some success in World War II, much like the Gladius. So, half a point? And finally, my personal favorite. The Constellation takes its name from the Lockheed Constellation, one of the first pressurized, piston-powered aircraft in the world. It first entered service with Trans World Airlines and the U.S. Army as a high-speed troop transport in 1943, with a top speed higher than that of the Mitsubishi Zero. This Howard Hughes brainchild is still flying today in limited numbers. And much like the RSI Constellation, it's manned by a crew of four and has plenty of room for passengers or cargo. So... That one definitely counts as Legacy. So by my count, that's about five in favor of Legacy. Three, not so much. Gents, how about that walkthrough history there? Any any favorites, sir?
0: Well, they don't list my favorite. And frankly, I'm kind of miffed that they don't list probably the most flown plane that had the longest service history. And that would be the F4U Corsair, one of my favorite aircraft of World War II.
1: Well, they don't have a Corsair in exactly, the
0: game. and I'm wondering what their deal is. Oh, that's what you're saying. I'm you're wondering bl- what the deal is. Clearing oversight. Yeah, mm. come on, that was the most celebrated plane. Pilots love that crap. Get on it, RSI. I want a Corsair in there.
2: Yeah, if we're making demands of RSI, I want a Spitfire. I love
0: the Spitfire. Oh yeah, there's but... another aircraft that really deserves yeah. recognition. But as long as we're listing off
1: aircraft that we want RSI to make, Warthog. We need a oh. Warthog. Yeah, yeah. Or they're kind of getting there with a gunship. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later on the show, but we need a warthog. Well, have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at cardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 175, Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the bomb. Then get technical with me. Crowdfunding update for May 3rd, 2014, 43,245,000. We've hit the magic 43 million mark on our way to 44 million. Be sure to vote for your choice of unlocked stretch goal goodness over at the RSI website. We've got just over 443,000 registered users, up another little 3,000 or so. And the number of alpha slots, um, once again, in case you missed it, is zero. Buy your ship package with beta access, chip in your five bucks for whatever particular sub-module you want to test out, but no more buy one, get all free access for you.
2: Yeah, $43 million and the money just keeps rolling in. Well, for all of our hard work, we're rewarded with a set of marine combat armour. The standard marine armour for almost 20 years, ORC armour is prohibitively more expensive than standard issue infantry body armour used by the army ground forces, but it offers a modest protection against both energy and kinetic weapons. So, os it's not as good as the Spec Ops armour, it certainly does the job. And as the letter points out through a UEE marine colonel, the best armour is just not getting shot in the first place we also hear that at 45 million we'll be getting a mystery object but the real treat in this letter from the chairman was the work-in-progress shots of the gladius and once again we were right this thing looks way more deadly and nimble than the mustang real low-profile small twin engines twin tail hard points under the wing have the designers been listening to our coverage of the textron scorpion isr well check the links in the show notes for an early peek at uee's a light fighter solution
1: Oh, that thing was so pretty. It was. It was just... I, I want one.
2: Yeah. I can see that I'm going to be helping them break through the whatever the next stretch goal is as soon as that ship is released. And that's another credit yeah. card bill I'm going to have to hide from the wife. and.
0: <laughs> like all the other ones. Mm-hmm. We are given two great pieces of fiction from CIG this week. First, the in-universe podcast, Clean Shot, sits down with the Trade and Development Division and introduces us to the cargo trading mechanics and warns us about systems you'll want to avoid while hauling it. Second, we get Episode 3 of First Run, a Sori Lyrax delivery. Hungry, broke, and missing her package and the uh, mobiglass carrying it, Sori starts a pursuit that leads to a landing site. But who was the man who stole her files, and what on earth could be in them? Be sure to check out both these pieces over at the RSI website. Links, as always, can be found in our show notes.
1: And on Wingman's Hangar, number 67, as usual, the forum feedback section was chock full of stuff. We're going to bring you some highlights of it. They are working on the concept of factory expansion, but it's not a direct investment in R&D alone. You'll need to spend money on equipment, materials, and labor, including NPC and possibly PC help. In secure UEE systems, there will be satellites and such that will monitor space. If your ship is attacked in these sorts of spaces, the satellites will detect it and your ship will send out an SOS, including the identity of your attacker. However, if you get killed in unsecure space or if the sensor network is somehow spoofed or disabled, there likely won't be proof of your attacker's identity. Without proof, it'll be your word against his. In the long run, all characters will need unique names in the Persistent Universe, but as of now, your RSI Forum name is your character name. There will be small story arcs or quests that appear in the Persistent Universe, but Squadron 42 expansions are separate from the main Persistent Universe expansions. And if your ship gets shot out from under you and doesn't steal it, it's gonna stay floating out there for a while. Someone will likely find it and salvage it for you. But in the long term, it will despawn. The Persistent Universe could get pretty bogged down by having to track an ever-increasing number of Hulks that Jeff shoots down. The last question we're going to cover was an inquiry about acquiring capital ships. The questioning subscriber was hoping that he might be able to contract with the UEE as a private carrier pilot. This idea did not get a warm reception from Rob Irving, the lead designer. It's not like the Bengals are just parked in UEE space and you'll be able to just mosey on up and take one over. And if you do find one, it's not going to be in the best shape. Translation Bring a shovel and some Ziploc baggies. And if you hold on to one long enough to get it moving again, you probably can't take it back someplace safe to refit it. Any place safe enough to rebuild a Bengal is safe enough to host a battalion of Navy lawyers who will be happy to take that carrier off your hands. So once again, after he got through with this explanation of stuff, I just they're going to have to do something with manufacturing capital ships. This is a steep road to hoe if this is their model for getting capital ships into the hands of organizations or individuals. I can't see
2: that it's going to be pure salvage, though. I mean, I can understand with the Bengals because they're a unique Uh, capital ship to the UEE Navy. But yeah, it stands to reason that they will have other capital ships that will be manufacturable.
1: They got to. I mean, Idris, definitely, you got to be able to make an Idris. I mean, you know, when you think when you look around at all these like super high end yachts that super billionaire people make, I mean, let's get close to what, well, it, I, what it would
0: cost. I, I think about this. Let's look at the laws of the UEE and, and the universe that we're playing in. Is it illegal to own a capital ship of that size? And if not, corporations must be manufacturing. So they must be making sales. I can't believe that they're not selling to those that can afford such an item, it really doesn't make any game sense not to.
1: Yeah, I hearken back to the olden days of sale. I mean, cargo ship would be thinly manned and poorly gunned, but it would still have guns and still be able to slightly defend itself, not against perhaps a determined attack, but certainly against a well-armed pirate. The concept of there being an Idris P and an Idris M, I think, should be sort of the model for the rest of the lower end of capital ships, a carrier. Okay, maybe only acquiring it. Okay, a battle cruiser. Okay, maybe only acquiring it. But you know, up to frigates and destroyers, I would think that you should be able to build them, if not to military specifications, at least you could get the hull and then have certain weapons on it and then perhaps it might be slightly illegal to have bigger weapons on it and that might be shady you know maybe you only get those type of upgrades out in the fringes but you should be able to manufacture the hull and at least some of the hard points Alright, well that's our first community question this week. What do you think about the salvage only model of capital ship acquisition in the persistent universe? Are you still holding out for hope, like us, that CIG puts out some kind of ship manufacturing? Let us know. Reply to our forum post on the Robert Space Industries fansite sub forums, or let us know what you think on our show post on guardfrequency.com
2: for the Chairman Episode 18 was released, and as always, Chris has a wealth of information to give back to the subscribers. We find out that the dogfighting module will have a full lobby-slash-matchmaking system, and more importantly, that version 1 will be released in about two to three weeks with full rollout around the third week of May. The dogfighting module rollout will be staggered, which is what we knew already, and in version 1, you will be able to set up a private match and share a private code with people so that they can join you in the match versions 1.1 and version 1.2 will be a full lobby system like they have in other MMOs. Squadron 42 will also feature full motion capture performance, which will be captured and displayed in the game, and in Star Citizen the NPCs will all be voice acted and some of the NPCs may be motion captured. The important ones, most certainly will be motion captured, but generic NPCs just probably won't have the same level of detail. We also find out that if you're out in a battle and you happen to get shot one too many times in the face and snuff it, that your body gets recovered and your friends drag it to a med Bay or a med station then they will have the chance to save one of your lives this is the internal life counter before your character finally bites the big one and everything passes to their next of kin the idea behind this is to encourage players to recover the incapacitated bodies of their friends in order to save one of their lives but if they do decide to abandon you then unfortunately you're just going to go down one tick on the counter And finally, we also hear from Chris that you will be able to do damage to bigger ships, even with smaller ships. There won't be an artificial limitation to ships or weapons. However, the damage that you'll be able to do with particular weapons will be variable. For example, a Retaliator fitted with anti-capital torpedoes can do a lot more damage than a Hornet carrying anti-fighter missiles. On the same note, well-flown Hornets may be able to take advantage of certain weak spots on larger ships and do some crippling damage. But don't expect the Idris to just blow up after a bunch of shots from the Hornet.
0: Another month has gone by, and another monthly report is out. These reports are always epic, and each department from within CIG and its partners gives us a short roundup of what they've been up to all over the last four-ish weeks. This time we hear from Travis Day. Eric Wingman-Peterson, Aaron Roberts of Foundry42, Matthew Blue, producer at Behavior, Tara Decker, producer at CG Bot, Sean Murphy, freelance manager, redacted of the FPS team, Mark Day of Void Alpha, and Matthew Jack, founder of Moon Collider. So everything you could ever want to know, and there's not a lot of new information given, but everyone confirms that they're hard at work at the dogfighting module. I did read all of the monthly report, and it was just a lot of still working on that,
1: still working on that. I mean, they are telling you exactly what little steps have been done, but to a guy that's mostly a layman like me, it just reads a lot like, still working here, thanks, quit
0: bothering me. <laughs> I pretty much do the same when our projects at work, too. You know, they ask yeah. me for a status report, and I give them a status report, and that's what they print, and send it out to everybody. So <laughs> I, I'm, I got the same yeah, feeling. Plus,
2: anybody who's listening to our show would have already heard all of this anyway. So the monthly report is just a nice roundup. Maybe that's why it all sounds so familiar and not like me. Yeah, yours. maybe because we covered it four-ish weeks ago. Could be. Could be. Well, speaking of people working hard, we have the Next Great Starship, Episode 11. Straight off the bat, we hear that True and Team Troika have both withdrawn so we're down to 10 competitors we did let you know that troika were looking as if they were going to pull out didn't hear anything from true though initially so i'm quite surprised that that
0: one oh i was going to tell you that our executive producer last night told me that he heard that three dingo had also dropped out but i have not confirmed that yet okay so.
2: interesting well they they'll be in the second round or not as the case maybe So watch this space for more. This week the teams have completed their modelling and texture phase, so much like we've done every week so far, we'll just give a quick rundown of all the ships and what we think of them. First up is Taloncorp, and their ship is entitled the Shadow Mantis from Aegis Dynamics. A couple of the comments from the devs were that the front end seemed too dense polygon-wise, but Chris Roberts says it was absolutely a ship he wants to fly, and it is one of his favourite ships so far. This is a personal favourite of mine, and when we reviewed it last time we said that it's come along way, the feedback's taken on board, and this ship looks mean. What did you guys think of the refined concept, Tony?
0: I love it more. Every time I see it, it gets better. I like it. I too am being further and further impressed by this iteration of it. Kind of like the yellow better than the red. But.
2: Yeah, I, my only complaint, and it is such a minor thing, is that the front end looks a little plasticky. That's it. Moving on, we have the entry from Team Cryo. Their ship is the RSI Polaris gunship. The judges said that they liked the sword and shield motif, but they were a bit curious as to how the pilot would be able to see when positioning the shield. Mark Skelton felt that the whole thing was too clunky, but Chris Roberts just said it's put down to Mark Skelton having a couple of late nights and he's just being a little bit of a stick in the mud over the whole thing. This ship was the one that it was the sword and shield mechanic, and I really liked the history that they did and holy crap this one was well thought out he seems to have gone through absolutely everything on it so the plan is that the Vandal have a a big knife on theirs whereas this is definitely the sword and shield it's the blocker and defender this has come on a long way they gave us a real in-depth tour of the inside Jeff I know that you've liked this ship in the past are you still leaning towards this one?
0: I like this ship. I kind of like the first iteration of it. I was hoping they'd see that make that work. It's gotten more asymmetrical now. It's really shaping up. I don't know that I would personally spend a lot of money on this. If I came across it or salvage it, I would I would go, "Yeah, I got one." But I'm not sure that I would go out and buy this yet.
1: Yeah, the concept was good at the beginning, and I think that he finally hit his stride with it. It's almost like he listened to the show, like when we were saying things like, give us a story about why there's a shield on it, and then develop a tactic from the technology And he kind of went through some of that on the video. Like, you have to turn your ship thus and such a way and expose your cannons for a broadside and then keep the shield. I mean, and the pilot has to concentrate on keeping the shield. It's like he did the exact same thing that I was hoping that he would do, and he did it well. But it's kind of too little too late, I think. I hope he doesn't go away because just from a gameplay perspective and a selling things to people in a microtransaction store perspective – this concept has a lot going for it. You have the body of the ship and you have these two arms that you can attach mission modules to. So you can swap out the shield. You can swap out a huge sensor pod. You can swap out a jammer. You can swap out a fuel tank. The Polaris is the thing in the middle and it's got some area defense with the two class five turrets on it. It's got room inside for cargo, for extra passengers, for whatever. And on the outside, you've got two arms that can host or hold a variety of different pieces of equipment for your mission-specific needs. This concept has a lot going for it, and I hope that they just hire this guy to develop this as part of a Robert Space Industry manufacturer thing. And think about it. you know, The Constellation, that's supposed to be a heavily modifiable ship, right? It's supposed to be a jack-of-all-trades. This ship fits that RSI ethic. That says, we're going to give you a body, push it in a direction that you want it to go.
2: Next up is the entry from Infinite Shoe Monkey, otherwise known as the Scimitar from Anvil Aerospace. Chris Smith thought that this overall shape looked a bit too simple the judges liked the animations, and Mark Skelton, this was definitely one of his top three. For me, personally, I wasn't a fan of the number of animations that were on it. A lot of them felt really needless. Like, they showed you how the airlock comes out. I can understand the animations for the folding panel, but then why wasn't the airlock just telescopic? Why did it have to twist a full 360 to come out? And it just seemed that everything had a pointless twist animation on it for no good reason. The turrets could go up and down telescopically. They didn't. They had to twist a full 360 for what I can is absolutely no benefit. So I have to agree that I think it's quite simple. I'm not a fan of the animations, so this is one of the bottom entries for me. What did you guys think?
0: This is not my least favorite ship, but it's not my favorite ship either. I am more convinced than ever that this is the Corvette. I mean, this whole thing screams
1: Corvette to me. Double the size of this thing and turn it into the, the Corvette. It's not a gunship. It's just not. It's not a troop transport. It's not a lander. It's too sleek. It's too fast. It's just not. But it's a great ship ship, but just not the Yeah, I've got to agree with you there.
2: Like you said, double the size. It's a really nice Corvette. Well, next up is the AX-14 Silverback from Drake Interplanetary, also known as the entry from Team Dry Dry. Chris Roberts said that this hasn't always been his favourite because of how it looked, but he's come around to it a lot, and it's now definitely up there with the best of them. Not a lot's changed since we last saw it. It's still got the big front fins that could be swapped out, although it's now got a lot more detail and texture, and looks kind of nice. It's still not one of my favourites. I'm still not a fan of the raw look of this ship, but I know that you guys like it. So, Tony, tell us about this.
1: Yeah, it's been true to its concepts from the very beginning. It looks like a Drake ship. It looks like it's a cousin of the Caterpillar and the Cutlass. It's a space ship. It's not a jet fighter. It's not a bomber. It's not a helicopter. It's not. It's a spaceship, and it looks like it can get the job done, and
0: I still like it. Still one of my favorites. Still mine, too. It really says gunship all over it. It doesn't look like it's out of Aliens. It doesn't look like it's out of some other sci-fi movie. This looks pure RSI universe. So, moving
2: on, the last entry for this week is from Skyguard Fabrications, the Guardian AX2. The judges said this one looked very smooth and clean. The wing tips, the points that come out of them, were a bit of a bad choice, and being fixed, they didn't really add a lot to the whole flavour of the gunship. I'm inclined to agree. I do like a couple of features that they've got, how they've tucked certain things away and made it very well protective. Jeff, what are your thoughts on this one?
0: Well, before I used to say that this looked more like a fighter than a gunship. This iteration has really changed my perspective. I'm starting to root for this. I hope it stays deep into the competition because it looks like it's grown up. But it's starting to look to me like, yeah, this could be a gunship that I could fly in a battle. I'm hoping to see more out of them. I hope that they knuckle down and, and really flesh this one out.
1: Now more than ever, this thing says bomber. It's just this is a fast-moving bomber. It's the cousin of the Retaliator. you got to take out the Marine landing bay and put in anti-capital ship missiles in there and fly it like that. This is a bomber. That's it.
2: Well, the judges got to vote on all of these entries and it was a bit different this time they changed it up so they had to rank their favorite from five to one and then all of the points were added together team cryo got eight points and skyguard got 10 and try got 16 so unfortunately those three didn't go through to the next round the two that have definitely gone through are talent corp with 20 points and infinite shoe monkey with 21 but whilst those teams may have been voted out we still have the save which is coming in two weeks which like the other rounds the community get to vote on the ships that they want to go back in i'm personally a little disappointed that infinite shoe monkey got the biggest votes out of the whole lot because me they, too. they slated it they said it looked so simple but they liked the animations and how can a ship that they've said is like one of the worst of the entries end up being the favorite of every judge and go through
1: i have no idea you know, one of the things that bothers me about a lot of these entries is that, and we we're just sitting here talking about where, you know, I was saying the other one should be the Corvette and, and Skyguard should be a bomber. You know, the thing they have in common is that both of their cockpits look up. You're supposed to be yeah. landing troops with these things. How are you supposed to do that when the pilot can't see the ground? It's just little things like that that make me go. I, they're cool-looking ships, but they're not right. <laughs> they're not right for the role yeah. that they've been asked to do. I think my vote's going to go for try, try for the save on them. I was. Very disappointed. Yeah, I mean, the thing is I'm not too sure how
2: they're going to work the points thing because if it's, you know, 8, 10, 16 are the three that went out. What if next week it happens to be like the winner only gets 16 points? Surely that then means that Tri-Trace should have been included and just was unlucky that it was on this week.
1: Here's the thing. I don't know what's coming up next week. None of the entries on that one stick out. had like the A bracket and the B bracket. It seems to me we'll see what happens next week. And that's our community question: Did CIG accidentally knock out the next great starship this week, or have they cleared out the riffraff and the also-rans? Let us know on our show post on the RSI fan site subforums or below our show post on GuardFrequency.com. And if you want to be Guard Frequency's guests at the next great Starship finale in L.A. on June 7th, all you have to do is reply to our show post on the RSI forum with something along the lines of, Hey, take me to the finale in L.A. You and a friend will get two tickets to the show and a fashionable and stylish Guard Frequency T-shirt, as long as you're sized medium, large, or extra large. You need to be in the L.A. area. We're not flying anybody anywhere. We're not putting anybody up in a hotel. But if you're going to be in L.A. on the day... We've got two tickets and some t-shirts for you. So just post up on the RSI forums on our show and let us know that you want them. We're going to do this until the show happens. So keep letting us know that you want to join every week. The
2: next three starships kind of depressed me. I just, I think I need to go somewhere and just blow up a few I ships am. or something like that. So I've got to know, where the f- Is the dogfighting module?
1: I don't know. You're not going to be able to use that for stress relief because it's not here yet. It's just not here yet. No, no, no. You you can't do it.
2: Well, this week I've been playing uh, Mm -hmm. Star Trek Online. Season 9 has just launched. And I've actually been really enjoying it. The changes they've made to the reputation system have made it a lot more playable for me. And I've also started another character that I'm leveling solely on Foundry missions, but I haven't gotten around to playing yours yet, Tony. Sorry. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, what have you been doing other than playing Tony's missions?
0: Well, I played Tony's missions before. But I have been playing STO this week, along with some SWTOR, So, And I've been playing Save the Prairie Chicken. It sounds pornographic.
1: Uh, no, it's actually uh, federal regulation-y, and it's pretty awful, and, I, and I'm despising it. But Do we need to I, have know, a fundraiser? It's living, sort of. Gently in the background in the arms <laughs> of the angels. No, playing, no. Then- no amount of fundraising is going to help. We need basically 10 years of uninterrupted prairie chicken hatching. So maybe not, maybe some berry white (laughs) for the prairie chickens, I think is probably more appropriate. I think that's what we, we need to get the prairie chickens in the mood and uh, they need to, they need to make some baby prairie chickens. Well,
2: possibly not the best section to move into after talking about chickens, but with the CRG news done, let's go and have a look at some Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all
1: flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets.
2: Hello citizens and civilians, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show, where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and let you know everything we can find from the inside out. Fair warning though, this game is still in active development, so all the information given is subject to change. This week, well, gas, diesel, petrol, LPG, fuel. Every vehicle needs it, and spacecraft are no exception. The MISC Starfarer is the galaxy's standard fuel transporter, with their massive tanks allowing for both the collection of spaceborne fuel from gas giants and extrasolar sources, as well as the transport of active fuel from the refinery stations to its primary market.
1: Though the base model lacks refinery equipment, the Starfarer does have docking mechanisms allowing it to conduct in flight refueling operations with most spacecraft classes. And it can even be upgraded to carry the basic refining mechanisms. It allows them to process sufficiently pure fuel themselves without the need for a refinery visit, but the most common Starfarer modification is cleaning up the tank to ship liquid nutrients
0: in the same tanking system. In fiction, this gave rise to a variant. A visually distinct long-haul bulk goods version mated to an alternate cargo chassis also exists, although this has proven less popular than the more rugged Freelancer lineup. Where the Freelancer was designed to appeal to a wide variety of small-scale roles, the Starfarer is a niche spacecraft through and through.
2: Starfarers carry massive internal fuel tanks that are welded directly to the ship's core superstructure, making them significantly safer than a modified transport. A system of external probes and dual-pressure access nozzles allow these tanks to be accessed at any time, meaning that the Starfarer can scoop hydrogen from a gas giant as easily as it can offload fuel to a nearby ship. The large hold really is the ship's main selling point, and the devs have hinted that it might be possible to carry small ships inside your Garga hold.
1: On the downside, the Starfarer is not for the faint-hearted, as no ship is more vulnerable than when it is engaging in a refueling operation. In fact, a rule of thumb for pirates states that a ship caught refueling can be captured intact, as no captain would ever risk a firefight breaking out nearby. To help mitigate this risk, she comes capable of equipping two Class 2, one Class 3, and one Class 5 weapon, better known as two articulated guns, a missile sensor pod, and a manned turret. It also has a max shield rating of 7,
0: the biggest shield of any ship we've seen thus far. The other thing to note is that the Starfarer is big, really big, larger than a Connie in length and height, and only a few meters shorter than the Idris Corvette. Note that the Idris has been upsized to a frigate, and we don't have any specs on that, so... We're comparing the Starfarer to the Corvette, but she only has half the thrusters of these larger ships, two TR-5s and one TR-6 main thruster and eight TR-2 maneuvering thrusters. So she's big, bulky, and so She is a fuel tanker we need, not the one we deserve.
1: I imagine they're probably going to get a, a pass on the uh,
0: equipment now that they have more of the ships being fleshed
1: out and their power bands of the thrusters defined and all that kind of stuff, but... Man, this ship is a niche ship, but I really want to know more about the refueling mechanic to see how much of the gameplay will be affected by the presence or absence of one of these ships.
2: Yeah, and by the sound of it, propellant is probably going to be flammable when on a ship very much like this, so... I can see that if you bring one into battle with you, that it would also be a mass target, because if you can hit that and get it to explode, then you could have huge, huge fallout from that.
0: Well, no kidding. I mean, the pre-floating gas is not so condensed, but once you start collecting it and compacting it and storing it, it's going to probably become very volatile.
2: Like you, Tony, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what this can do, because it's just a role that you don't find in any other games, a refueler. You get mining, which most people see is a pretty dull craft anyway. You know, you fly to a rock, you pew, 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 and you take it back, you offload it, you fly to a rock, you pew, pew, pew. Refueling is probably in, as most people would see it, quite a dull mechanic as well. But when you consider that in the Chris Roberts universe, everything has a place, everything has a point and everything has a skill. So being able to fly up to another ship, attach the hoses, pump the fuel all while staying safe. And then, like you said, the additional tactics of how would this possibly sway a battle? Is it worth bringing a fuel tank along if you're doing a long-distance hull? Yeah, I'm just really curious and excited to see it.
1: Yeah, you know, you think about modern air combat, your balance of forces that you bring to the table is important and including in that balance of forces having sufficient fuel to see you through combat. You know, you have to get to the engagement zone, then you have to have sufficient propellant on board to allow you to maneuver, to allow you to get first shot and then to get you back out of the danger zone. So, do you jump away from your home base, jump into the the, the hot spot, tank up, go do your mission and then come back and tank up again to fly home, hopefully. And then what do you do to protect that asset while you're flying the mission? Do you have to also have a spotter craft there, uh, a a coordination aircraft like the the modified version of the Hornet that has the command and control system in it? Do you need an Idris Corvette with its uh, suite of sensors on board and its uh, command and control capabilities? I mean all this has got to play together somehow and I'm looking forward to seeing how the thirstiness of the ships increases or decreases your ability to fight and win.
2: Well, that's everything that we know so far on the Starfarer. Again, as soon as we hear anything new, we will, of course, bring you the information. But we would we'd love to know what you guys think, so be sure to leave a comment underneath this episode, either on the Robert Space Industries forums or on our show post at cardfrequency.com. But for now, let's jump into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all
1: Hey everybody! Thanks to our new listeners, Twitter followers, uh, Facebook likers, uh, comment responders, and all those other things that you guys do every week, we appreciate it. Thanks once again to our community manager Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster for wrangling y'all into some sort of order. I'm gonna—it's not really order, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's some semblance of order. Be sure to check out his short story "Border Patrol," included in Tales from the Front from Battlefield Press. Links will be in the show notes. And uh, Lennon, take it away. Sean Newboy writes in in response to community
2: questions, saying the week report is both meaning that it's going to be a usual update and that it's going to mean delays. Um, having heard what Chris said, though, from 10 for the Chairman, I'm kind of taking it back a little bit now. I will admit when I'm wrong, unlike Tony, who never does.
0: I hate, <laughs> wait, 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 wait,
1: I admit when you're wrong all the time.
2: So uh, Sean Newboy also goes on to say that his favorite ship this week was the entry from Shimmerpan, which, again, that's another one that wasn't covered this week. So hopefully we'll see them next week. Other than that, he says, a wonderful show, everyone.
1: I'm going to tell Sean Newboy he's wrong, too. The one from Shimmerpan is not good. Sean Newboy, I'm providing you the same level of service that I provide to my co host Lennon,
0: you're wrong there. Sal says, Another great show, guys. The update is good, fluff, just in case the module takes longer than May. I say, give it to everyone and let us fly on our local machines. And when the back end is ready, drop it to us. I'm hungry. Can you send some of those goat bars out? Oh, yeah, the fruity goaty bars. It's the fruity goaty bars. Not-
1: you, you guys it's an Odie bar it's it's not a it's not a goatee bar, oh, a goatee bar. and dillick writes in hello guys amazing work your voice has been added to those who accompany me at work thanks for making the grind more enjoyable well you're very welcome Osteron
2: tells us, Great show again, guys. Absolutely loving the bloopers at the end, by the way. Keep it up. I have to check in as a pessimistic cynic regarding the weekly updates. Between the dogfighting reveal, Chris Roberts' perfectionism, and CIG's track record on doing anything with providing bandwidth for us to use, I wouldn't be surprised if the real date before we see a fully functioning Arena Commander V1 ends up being sometime in July. The weekly updates are likely a buffer to try to limit the number and volume of people who will join Lennon in his cries of, Where the f*** is the dogfight? (laughs) Module.
0: yeah, could could be, yeah.
2: Yeah. Again, Chris did say third week of May, so
0: fingers crossed. And via the Robert Space Industry forums, Nexus wrote, Things I learned in this episode. One, if you're older, you need Odie Goatee bars. Two, flying in space and math is hard and long. Three, there is some new secret aircraft in the sky. All we need now is a reboot remake of War Games shall we play a game paging matthew broderick Four. speaking in general is hard and to the cq yes i believe that the new ac report is a sign of delays but i think it'll also turn into a fluff and be used to communicate all the changes to ac until beta launch and a quick rant about ac i feel like chris robert wants to put on a piece of polished work and release ac when it's almost retail shape to me i feel somewhat cheated Sounds worse than it is. I paid for Alpha Access. I kind of want to see it in rough shape, and it doesn't need to work all the time for me. It's the joy of being a backer, and I think it's kind of like raising a baby. Kind of have to agree (laughs) with that comment.
2: Going back to the issue of speed in the Star Citizen universe, there was a really good post on Reddit, which I'll link in the show notes, where somebody's figured out the math to certain points in our solar system, and basically our solar system alone will take 25 hours to cross at 0.2c. Hopefully it'll make it all make a little bit more sense. But they are still going to have to put in mini jump points.
1: Mini jump points. Only way to do it. And from Twitter, we hear from at STO. A lot to laugh about in this week's show. Content, as always, was informative and plentiful. Keep it up. Well, thanks.
2: So how was the show this week? Useful and informative or as helpful as a troll on a forum? Let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. You can check out our forum post at
1: forums.robberspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com,
0: and you can subscribe, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Guard Freak, and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're old school like us, send us a package full of
1: Odie bars to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K
0: at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of Episode 21 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with Episode 22 on May 13th. Be sure to keep an eye out for all of our episodes at guardfrequency.com or our post over at Robert Space Industries Fan Sites Forum please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways that we just ran down in the
2: feedback loop, you can also hit the contact form at the top of our website. All the details for all of our contact methods can be found in our show notes.
1: Do you like what we do? Want to come join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at cardfrequency.com. We're always on the lookout for talented individuals. Right now, Lennon's looking for an audio engineer to come help us. So, if you'd like to be a part of the best damn Space Sim podcast ever, then we would love to hear from you.
0: And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday night, join us live at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. That's 8 p.m. Central, 2 a.m. Sunday's GMT.
1: And don't forget, everybody, enter to win our contest for the two tickets to the next great Starship finale. Just reply to our show post over on the RSI fan site forum. Hey, send me to L.A., guard frequency. Of course, we're assuming you're already going to be in L.A. at the time, but we'll go ahead and send you to the show that's in L.A. We're not paying for airplane tickets or anything, guys. We just can't afford that kind of thing. This is a free podcast. It's a labor of love. We don't have that kind of scratch around here. But be sure, if you're going to be in L.A. and you want to go to the show, write a reply on our show post on the RSI sub forums.
2: We would like to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to our community manager, Jay Chivalry Bean, and our artist, Simon Chawton Edwards. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music during our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely.
1: Reduce thrust! And Carol squawk 7700 stay on the guard
0: so join us if you'd like to be part of the best damn space whatever we do here (laughs) <laughs> that would be the best <laughs> damn space sim podcast ever. That is correct.
1: So I'll just go ahead and say that, including the identity of your attacker. However, if you get killed in unsecure space or if the sensor
0: <laughs> fill out this form. Hear me, RSI, put in a simple friends list, okay? It's really easy. And you can tell that Jeff is serious because he got ever so gradually closer to the microphone as
2: he
1: said it. Is that how you know when people it's are serious? It's how you
2: know when people are serious. Plus, for some reason, they put on a deep voice and become
1: American. We're going to give you a body, push it in a direction that you want it to go.
2: Which is also good dating advice for anybody listening.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is so
0: true. And Dillick writes I in, want my goody bar. Pipe down! <laughs> Flying in space and math is hard and long. <laughs> okay, I'll let that go without comment. Uh, yeah, you just started laughing. I wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but you started
1: laughing and now, Lennon, go ahead, say something. The math go on. in <laughs> <comes> space <laughs> is hard and long takes its name from the Lockheed Constellation, one of the first pressurized piston-powered... Par- piston piston-powered
2: aircraft. Um, Tony, I just, okay. I just have a favor to ask, though. Can you yeah. say pressure... <laughs> no, because I can't. Can you say... <laughs>
1: <laughs> though the base model lacks refinery equipment, the Starfarer does have docking mechanisms allowing it to conduct in-fleet... in in-fleet, in-fleet fuel. But the most common Starfarer modification is cleaning up the tank to ship liquid fu- food stuffs but the most common Starfarer modification is cleaning up the fuel tank to ship liquid fu- food fu- ship liquid food but the most common Starfarer modification is cleaning up the tank to ship liquid food fu- stuffs god there's feud and there's fuel there's feud and fuel okay Liquid nutrients. We're going to do nutrients. What are you doing? Lip- ship milkshakes. <laughs> no, we're not shipping milkshakes. And you didn't have editing sound effects like this. If you're going to edit like that, you have to make editing sound effects so we have good radio. Ship liquid nutrients. It allows them to process sufficiently pure fuel fuel After all <of> that... <laughs> Okay, I was gonna, I'm, I've already got something good for that. Don't but eat, I'm don't we're sorry. Don't we're ex- experiencing technical dripping.
0: difficulties. Please stand, stand by. by. <laughs> the,
1: the operator of the sound intake system is malfunctioning. Stand by.